If you turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 11, we're going to read verse 31 this morning. Hebrews 11 and 31. Then we'll be turning back over to the book of Joshua, the second chapter, if you want to be turning there also. Hebrews 11 and 31. I'll let the pages stop turning. We'll give you a chance to get there. Hebrews 11 and 31. By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. From a life of disgrace to a woman of faith. That's our subject this morning. From a life of disgrace to a woman of faith. I tell you, there could hardly be any greater of a testimony to the mercy and grace of God than the account of Rahab in the scripture. So we want to turn over to Joshua 2 and read specifically what is said there about this woman. And as we look at Joshua 2, there's a reason why every time, except for one place, where Rahab is referred to in the scripture, she is always, except for one time, referred to as a harlot. Now, the word that we would have for harlot today would be a prostitute, a person who sells themselves. As I have put it to make it real for my kids, I've, as the little ones, I've always said, this was a girlfriend for hire. <laughs> that's, a, that's about as nice of a way that we can put it for the, the little guys to understand. She was paid to be a girlfriend. And you won't find a worse occupation described in the scripture. Now, it is interesting to me that I have read a lot of commentators through the years and recently about Rahab. And there are many that try to soft pedal it and say, well, she really, it really wasn't, she really wasn't a harlot. She just, she just had a lodging house. Like she had a hotel or a motel. There's no way to soft pedal this. The word harlot is used for a reason so that we can understand that Rahab lived a life before the Lord intervened in her life and interrupted her life. She lived a life of disgrace. She went from a woman, a life of disgrace to a woman of faith. She went from a harlot to holiness. She went from a prostitute to a princess. Let's read in Joshua 2. Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are to come unto thee, which are entered into thine house, for they be come to search out all the country. And the woman took the two men and hid them and said thus, There came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. And it came to pass about the time of shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out. Whether the men went, I wot not. Pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof of the house and hid them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. Let's understand about who, Jer who Rahab was. You know, and think about, this was a small event 
taken place there in Rahab's house on this particular night. As the world would look at it, as Jericho would look at it, it was just a little nothing event taking place. Last year in June, when we were blessed to travel over to Africa, once again, um, Brother Asher and myself and uh, Brother Neil and Brother McNeil, Brother Mike Ivey and uh, Brother uh, John from out in Texas, we ordained a Brother Peary McMillan. He's a dear brother who was our translator for most of the time. And we ordained him on a Thursday night. And we, I, may, I think I may have shared some of this with you before, but we, we had, they had rented a place. Uh, and the ordination was to take place about 6 o'clock in the afternoon. Well, it usually gets dark around 6. And you just got to understand Africa. <laughs> they had rented the place, the facility, but they had not rented the power. <laughs> so when we got there, it was getting dark and we had no power because they hadn't rented the power along with the building, which we don't understand that, do we? That's just something that doesn't, <laughs> we, don't, we can't con- conceive of that. So we basically turned our phones on, those of us that had you know, power in our batteries, we cut some lights on through our phones. That was it. They didn't even have any candles or anything. And so we ordained that brother it, it was it was practically pitch black dark. There was no moon out that night, and here we were. And I'm I'm looking at this brother, and you know I can't even really see him. I can just see his form, and I'm delivering the charge to him in the complete dark. And I and one of the things I said was this that occurred to me. You know, there was the president of the country of Zambia doing whatever he's doing with light. I'm sure in his house, and there's the the leaders and the the big wigs, so to speak, of Zambia doing the, the matters of state and all the things that they go through. And I've told them, I said, here we are in the dark. We don't even have power, and we're delivering a charge to a man who is about to go forth bearing the truth of God's grace and, and evangelize and teach and hopefully establish churches and so forth. Carry that precious truth that I think we so often take for granted to carry it forward. And I asked the question, I said, where this night do you think God's focus is? Is he focused on what's going on with matters of state in the country of Zambia with the president's house? And I'm not saying he disregards or doesn't know what's going on, but where do you think his focus is? I believe his focus was there in the dark as we ordained that brother. I believe God's spirit was there. I felt it. And it was only about 15 or 16 people there. And so the point of it is, it was just a small thing that took place in the house of Rahab on that particular night. He just kind of escaped, he kind of flew under the radar of what was going on there. But where do you think God's focus was? God's focus was on what was going on in that house that night. And there's no doubt in my mind that many horrible things, many sins had been committed in, in that house of Rahab through the many years that she had been engaged in the uh, in the occupation that she had been engaged in. But on that particular night, I tell you, the mercy and the grace of God was there. She, in her own heart, felt burden to take care of these men. What a statement of hospitality. Here is a woman who had every reason to not be hospitable to these spies that were coming in to destroy her nation state, her country, her city state. Because that's what they were like in those days. Jericho was a little nation unto itself. It had a king. It had a government. It had, you know, 
It had an army. It had everything that it needed. Those little city-states back in those days, it was like a little nation. And you remember we talked the last time about how the walls of Jericho came down. Joshua, they went around it, marched around it, and so forth. I didn't even mention anything about Rahab because I wanted to wait and save that for this message today. But while all that was going on outside, there's one house in Jericho that is being spared, and it was Rahab's house. So where do you think God's focus and attention was as this woman spared these men? She was hospitable to these men, and she hid them in threat of her own life. The king has sent to her and said, give us these men that have come into your house. And she does not. She does not give them up. What faithfulness. I tell you, Rahab is a testament to the grace and mercy of God. Who was Rahab? Rahab was a woman who lived a life of disgrace. Now, I want you, if you want to picture it a little bit more, a little bit better, think about this. Maybe you've been to big cities like New York. I've been there a long time ago. Uh, or Los Angeles. I've been there 2017. Uh, think about a big city. And maybe uh, you, you think about it, and I think about it in terms of vacationing, and we go to tour and see things. But think about coming into a city and going to the worst place in the city. I remember when I was, one of the reasons I don't like New York to this day is because when I was a child, I can't remember if I was nine or ten or so, but we visited New York and, and this stuck with me. We took a tour, a bus tour. And the bus tour carried us around and the bus driver was telling us, you know, this is Chinatown, this is this, this is that. You know, we went here, we went there. And we, we came to this one street and the bus driver said, now you don't want to go down that street because if you go down that street, you'll get mugged. And I was nine or ten. I mean, I just, my eyes were just locked on that street. I was terrified. I don't know where that street was. Maybe they've cleaned it up because I know law enforcement is a lot better in New York these days, I've, I've heard. But that terrified me. That stuck with me. And I thought, if I can ever get out of this city, I'll never go back. As a little kid, that's what I thought. But imagine we go to a city and we visit it and we enjoy ourselves and we see sights and so forth. But what if you went into the city undercover and went to the worst place of town, a brothel? You know, a house of prostitution or a harlot's house. You know, a place where the drug deals are going down. A place where crime is more rampant. It's not the nice area. Rahab was not in the nice area of town, you see. So picture that when it comes to a place like New York or Los Angeles or some of the bigger cities where that kind of activity takes place. I mean, there's even a, at least one city, maybe two, that, it's, that prostitution is legal in America. Can you believe that? That's crazy, isn't it? But imagine going into a place like that. You're not going to see the sights. You're going into the worst place in town. That's where Rahab was. And not only that, she was very well known. You know, the king said, the, the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab. He knew who she was. She had a reputation in town. You see, he knew where Rahab's house was. No doubt many of the soldiers that were employed in the city's employment and the nation state's employment there, no doubt many of them were very familiar with Rahab's uh, house. And so he sends to Rahab. She was very well known. And yet in the midst of this, now, you know, we, we can't, I can't put all conjecture on this, and, but I do want you to use your, your spiritual imagination. It's okay to do that. You know, I don't know at what point that Rahab stopped engaging in the things she was doing, but she did at some point. I don't know if she was kind of trapped, you might say, maybe at some point prior to this, you know, she had ceased to engage uh, in, in selling herself to be someone's girlfriend. 
But at some point, you know, there was something that went on in Rahab's life that changed because she confesses it. She talks about it here in just a minute. So she went from being that popular woman who was known throughout the city, very well known even in the king's house, to something different. And it says that in verse 8, before the spies were laid down, Rahab came unto them upon the roof. You see, in those days, roofs were different than what we have. It's not a 45-degree pitch or a 30-degree pitch, you know, like my roof is at home that you can't hardly stay on. Back in those days, a lot of activity took place on the roof. They would dry out uh, some of their uh, crops and such on the roof. That's why stalks of flax were laid upon her roof. And also, it could be that part of the roof was made out of those stalks to keep the rain out. But the roofs were different. They would go and they would lounge. You might think of the roof in those days, especially in good weather, more like a den. Where they would go up and you could oversee, uh, you could see over the city at various places. And they would, they would kind of relax and take it easy up there on the roof. We, we'd go up there and we'd drink coffee if it was us. But Rahab's house was also on the wall of the city. This is significant because remember the city that we're in. This is Jericho. And those walls are about to come tumbling down some short time later, a few maybe months or a few weeks later. So Rahab puts the spies up on the roof and covers them with the stalks of flax. If they were drying up there or if it was a part of the roof, she made it where nobody could see them. It was a hiding place. And after the king's men go out looking for the, the spies out there, like Rahab has said, they, they must, they left. You hurry up, you'll catch them if you go. Rahab goes up on the roof, and she, I want you to notice what she says to them in verse 9. And you can't be, what she says can only be statements of faith. Okay? She says unto the men, I know that the Lord, that's significant right there, the word Lord is the word for Jehovah. You know, the word God is the general term for God. It is the Hebrew word Elohim, which is a general term for God. And then the word Lord is the specific name for the God of the Hebrews. So it's important that this woman is referring to Jehovah. She's not just referring to the gods in general. She says to them, I know that Jehovah has given you the land and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. That's a story that you can read about. No doubt this had gone out throughout the land of what had happened. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. Oh, brothers and sisters. Wouldn't it be wonderful that if there was that type of fear and reverence and respect for God, like there is such fear and reverence and respect for a germ? Are you hearing me? This entire nation had a reverence and a respect for the God of the Hebrews. She said it was so, don't you, wouldn't you love for your heart to just melt in awe and reverence of the Jehovah God? I tell you, I believe it can. And I believe it has to do with what we focus on, you see? He says, our heart, she says, our hearts didn't melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you, for the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. In the Hebrew uh, language, it would be stated like this, for the, for the Jehovah, 
your Elohim, he is the Elohim or the God in heaven above and in earth beneath. He is the one true God over all gods, which are false gods. (laughs) And she says, watch this now. Now, therefore, I pray you swear unto me by the Lord, by Jehovah, since I have showed you kindness, that ye will also show kindness. Watch this. Unto my father's house and give me a true token. And that ye will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. My goodness, what a mouthful this woman has said. Now I want you to think about the things that Rahab overcame. And remember, this is not her reaching down within herself and pulling herself up by her bootstraps and just, you know, finally gritting her teeth and just getting over, you know, her circumstance. No, this is the grace and mercy of God by grace and mercy he puts in her heart. He touches her heart. He gives her spiritual life and he puts it in her heart to do that which is right. And listen, this is another lesson you could get out of this is the old phrase, move it or lose it. We need to be using uh, our faith. I I, I think Rahab is a testimony to us that we don't have any excuse. (laughs) If, If somebody that was in the condition that Rahab was in, and God can put it in their heart to do that which is right, we have no excuse. I don't see any Rahabs. I don't think I'm speaking to any Rahabs. Now, again, we're not putting levels of sin. Well, you know, this sin was worse than... You know, there are different levels of consequences of sin, no doubt. Now, in God's eyes, sin is all the same. But there's a big difference in the consequence of a man or a woman looking upon another and lusting in their heart and committing adultery in their heart. There's There's a different level of consequence on that and repenting of that thought rather than acting it out. You see, that's just, that's just good old-fashioned spiritual common sense, you see? There's a big difference between somebody looking in anger on another person and gritting their teeth and just saying, I wish they were dead, and as opposed to maliciously planning the murder of that person, and they actually carry it out. <laughs> There's a big difference in the consequence. Would you agree with me? It's all sin. There's no different levels of sin, but for us in this time world, there are different levels of the consequence of sin. Are y'all with me on that? <laughs> And so what you've got here is Rahab who was running a a house of prostitution and engaged in that activity herself. At some point, God puts in her heart and gives her grace and gives her mercy. And she begins to think, I need to make a change. You see, that change did not stem from, I'm just tired of getting in trouble. I'm tired of my reputation. No, the change stemmed from her heart that God had given her. God had placed Himself inside her, and therefore she was drawn to God by the mercy of God. And what resulted from that was a desire to do different. You see, that comes from God. I think Rahab is a great lesson for me personally. I have no excuses. Whatever I'm dealing with and whatever I'm struggling with, I just can't get it right. I just can't get over this hump. I'm going to think about Rahab. Look at the hump that she had to get over. Look at the hill that she had to climb. And by God's grace and mercy, she climbed it. And she stands as a testament to God's grace today. Isn't that wonderful? Think about the things she had to overcome. Her occupation. She had to overcome her occupation. You're not going to be able to be a testament to, to grace and a testimony to faith and live as a paid girlfriend or a paid boyfriend. You, know, you can't live in that lifestyle and be a, a glorifying to God. You see, that's a pretty big thing to overcome. She also had to overcome being a patriot of Jericho. 
She is a citizen of Jericho. She's a well-known citizen. The king knew who she was. Even if you might say uh, in that famous work of fiction from the 1980s, The Three Amigos. Y'all get that one in a minute. Y'all must really be asleep. In that famous work of fiction that Brother Jim knows exactly what I'm talking about, The Three Amigos, you know, El Guapo in The Three Amigos, he says he was, he was not just famous, he was infamous. And the Amigos got a little tripped up on that. They thought he is, he's not just famous, he is, he is infamous. You know, he's incredible. You don't want to be infamous. Rahab was infamous. See? But she was a patriot of the, na- of the nation, the city-state of Jericho. She had to overcome that. Listen, you won't find someone that's more of a patriot for the United States of America. I'll tell you, it's not just my opinion when I say we shouldn't tear down statues and things like that. That's not just my, that's vandalism is what that is. You see, it's not just, oh, well, I think this is, listen, I feel to be a patriot of the United States of America, which is not a perfect country. There's no perfect country. Israel, when it had God as its head, was not a perfect country. I love this nation. I love uh, what the nation has stood for. I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm not saying that the men and women who have come up through time and through history have done things perfectly. There's no question that they haven't. They were sinners too. But when we discount the past and when we discount and rewrite history, we are also discounting and writing God out of history. Because God can move nations forward in spite of their sin. God can help people in the, in the midst of nations overcome things. You see, not only is the rewriting of history a disgrace to history, it's a disgrace to God because it discounts God out of it. You know, those, that person did this act or they did this one thing and therefore they are discredited and discounted forever. Well, that discounts the grace of God, you see. Couldn't we say the same thing about Rahab? Well, she was a prostitute. She was a, a girlfriend for hire. She's discounted forever. We just can't, we can't really, uh, you know, magnify God through seeing what happens. See, you see, it doesn't make sense. It discounts the grace of God. You won't find a greater patriot than me. But there comes a dividing line where we must say, I am a patriot, a citizen of the kingdom of God over and above my citizenship of any country on this planet. You hear me? So when the, when the nations of this world conflict and contradict with their laws and with the things that they do, and it contradicts with the kingdom of God, that's when I claim a higher citizenship. Does that make sense? See, Rahab was a patriot of the nation of Jericho. She had to overcome that. But you see, the point I'm trying to get to you is where, you, where your citizenship with a nation conflicts with your citizenship as a, kingdom, as a member of the kingdom of God. That's when you have to go with the citizenship with the kingdom of God. I've told you before, and I maintain it, I'm a one-issue voter. I have become and morphed into a one-issue voter. And the question is this, is that person for saving babies? <laughs> That's all that matters to me. Now, other things do matter. Don't get me wrong. But that's the primary thing that matters to me. Will they save babies? Will they save babies? Rahab had to overcome her patriotism for Jericho. She also had to overcome her fear of death. Did you notice she said, our hearts melted. Our hearts melted whenever we heard what happened over there at the Red Sea and those other things that went down. She had to overcome the fear of death. She also had to overcome unpopularity. (laughs) 
You know, she was not a very it, she was not a very popular person, especially after maybe the rumor went out. Of, I don't think she told anybody, but you never know who may have heard what was going on there where she made this vow. And then she starts collecting her family into her house. Now, listen, I want you to think about this. Rahab only had just snippets of information, just little bits and pieces. They heard about the Red Sea, didn't see it with their own eyes. They heard about the kings on the other side of Jordan, how they were wiped out by God's power. You know, she just had little snippets of information. And she, you know, think about it. She based her actions of faith basically on a rumor. You know, she didn't have the inspired word of God. She didn't have a priest to come in there and say, now this is what this means. She just had little snippets of information and she did what she did based on those snippets of information. Brothers and sisters, we have the inspired word of God. You don't have to have any doubt about who God is or any doubt about the judgments of God or any doubt about the mercy of God. And this dear woman who was, uh, lived such a horrible life of disgrace, she acted just basically on little bits of information. And we're living in the information age, are we not? You can get any information you want. Now, it, it might be beneficial, it might not be beneficial. You can Google whatever you want to hear or whatever you want to know. But I'm talking about the information of the Word of God. The inspired Word of God from, from Genesis 1 and 1 down to the book of Revelation. You see, that is God's message, God's love. Look at all the information that we have related to God. And people say, well, I just can't identify with it. <laughs> what that really means is they don't want to identify with it. See, Rahab just had two or three bits of information. And she, she focused on a complete overhaul, a complete lifestyle change just based on those little snippets. I tell you, she's hanging by a thread, and no pun intended when you see what she's fixing to do in a minute. Uh, she's hanging by a thread. You know, here she is in this horrible city, and she feels the burden to become something different. And these men come along, and she thinks, she puts it, she connects it. Hey, can you connect that? We've got so much information that we ought to be able to connect things like that in the providence of God in our lives just like that. We ought to be able to connect it. We ought to have the, the spiritual sense to connect it. This is God telling me things. This is God interacting with me. She sees the spies and they're from Israel. She thinks, this is my chance. This is my chance. I'm going to take care of them. I'm going to hide them. And I'm going to ask them, would you please remember me? See, all she had was just little snippets of information. And she also, I believe, had an unsupportive family. But she had deep concern for her non-supportive family. Notice she said, would you please remember me and remember my father, my mother, my brethren, my sisters, and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. I wonder how much time over the next several weeks that Rahab spent convincing them to come to her house on that particular day, that particular night. I believe they were there for it. I believe the, the family of Rahab was there in her house for at least seven days. At least, maybe more. But can you imagine, you know the father and the mother were not proud of her. You know the sisters and the brothers, they probably didn't want to have a whole lot to do with her. And yet here she comes at their door knocking on their door saying... Can you imagine how crazy they thought she was? <laughs> the conversation the mom and dad had later, we can't go to her house. It's a house of prostitution. We can't be seen there. We'll damage our reputation. But she had a deep concern for her family. I believe this is the opposite of what you read about in, in Isaiah, the 58th chapter and the 7th verse, where it says the Lord, the people were going around acting like they were godly. 
They were fasting. They were doing all these things. And they were showing off, you know, showing off their godliness. And the Lord rebuked them and said, I haven't told you to do that. Your lives are pitiful and ungodly. And he said, in Isaiah 58, he said, this is the fast I've, I've declared. is to deal your bread to the hungry. To give water to those that are thirsty. To deal your clothes to those that are need clothing. And he says, to not hide yourself from your own flesh. To not hide yourself from your own kin, from your own flesh. See, this is the opposite of that. You know, it, I'm just telling you, it, sometimes it's the hardest to be the godliest around those that you're related to. That's why Jesus himself said a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, in his own family. That's just Jesus. That's just, you know, he's the son, they thought. He's the son of Joseph. You know, he's the son of Mary. It's just old Jesus. I mean, we can't take him seriously. I tell you, can you imagine how they didn't take Rahab seriously the first time she came and said, please come to my house. When I call you, when I send for you, you've got to come to my house. I wouldn't be surprised if this, you know, if you're hiding yourself from your flesh, you'd go try one time and just say, I forget it. You know, they don't care nothing about me. I did my duty. I I tried to get them to come and they wouldn't come. So it's not on me anymore. Praise God. Rahab wasn't that way. I could see her going day after day after day until they finally say, okay, maybe she got down on her knees and she begged them. She said, I'm begging you with my life at stake. I'm begging you and your life at stake. You must come to my house. When I call, you must come. And then that fateful day came whenever the children of Israel finally did show up and they began to march around. I tell you, Rahab's house had a bird's eye view of what was going on because her house was on the wall and they began to see the children of Israel march around and she sends for them and she says, come quickly. You must come to my house. They're here. And the mother, the father, the brothers, the sisters, they come. (laughs) Isn't that glorious? But they were very unsupportive. I've told you this funny story before. Whenever I first shared with mom and dad that I felt a burden to be a member at Bethlehem back in 1999. And I felt a burden to preach. You know, I I get it. You know, for my family, they were like, oh, it's just another adventure he's going on. You know, he's such an adventurous young man. He likes to climb rocks. He likes to play football. He likes to play music. He's just so adventurous, you know. <laughs> and and I, I basically, I earned that reputation, no doubt about it. You know, go off on this extreme. Go, so, but this was for real. <laughs> you know, this was for real. I finally found what the Lord was telling me to do. And all those times I wouldn't listen. <laughs> I'll never forget, I sat down with mom and dad. You know, dad... He'd, he'd had those glasses on. Sometimes he'd look down over his glasses. I said, Dad, I'm, I, you know, I feel burdened to join Bethlehem. And, and I, think the, you know, I believe the Lord's leading me to preach. And then, then when I was eventually ordained and became the pastor of Bethlehem, we had another conversation. And I said, Dad, you know, I feel burdened to share the truth to preach. You know? and I remember Dad looked at me and he said, You don't really think anybody around here is going to want to hear the truth, do you? And I just went, Yes, I had to grip my teeth. I love my dad. But, but I get it. I get it. I understand why he felt that way. And then, of course, a, few, you know, a couple years later, whenever he became a part of that and he joined Bethlehem, y'all remember I held him under the water a little bit longer. You know, that'll show you to doubt me. I didn't do that. I'm just kidding. I, I, and I didn't even think about it. But it does make a funny story. But sometimes our family discredits maybe what the burden is just because... They've seen us. They've been there up close. They've seen the warts and the pimples, right? They've gotten up close and personal. They see what's going on. And so for Rahab, 
with all of the, the mess that she'd been through in her life and all the things that she'd done, and she finally shows up and she says, please come to my house. Please, I'm begging you. I bet she got down on her knees and begged them to come. And on the day when the Israelites showed up, she's on the wall. She says, get them here. They're here. And remember, she, I told you she was hanging by a thread. Well, she had the scarlet line, the scarlet thread, the scarlet rope that she'd let the spies down with outside her window as the city gates had been shut. There was no way to go out the city that night. So she let them down by a window. And it says they told her to, to tie the scarlet line in your house, in your window, so when we come, we'll know where your house is. And that scarlet line. Don't you know somebody probably asked, what, what's that hanging from your window? You, you, you're getting into some kind of new design or something? No, I just, I'm just going to leave it hanging there. She couldn't tell anybody. And then Israelites show up. She's got a bird's eye view watching them go around the city. They do it seven, uh, six days. They do it once a day. And then on that seventh day. You know, she, it, had, it took patience. Did it not to stay in that house? That's another thing she had to overcome. You need to, you, you struggle with patience. You know the old silly saying, well, you better not pray for patience because the Lord's going to give you tribulation to give you patience. That's not what the Bible says. It doesn't even say anything close to that. <laughs> On the contrary, it says you need to be praying for patience because tribulation's going to come. It doesn't come from the Lord, but you need patience to deal with that tribulation when it comes. And Rahab needed patience she stayed in that house for at least seven days. See, she didn't know whenever that the walls were going to come tumbling down. And I'm sure that in her mind, you know, when the walls began to tremble and they began to fall apart, don't you know in their mind they were thinking, we're fixing to go down too. But somehow, by the providence of God, that segment of the wall, as we read in the book of Joshua, over in the sixth chapter, it says that, the, that Joshua in 6 and 22 had said to the two men that had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house and bring out thence the woman and all that she hath as she swear unto you. And the young men that were spies went in, brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she had. And they brought out all her kindred and left them without the camp of Israel. I wonder how many people after the first day were in Rahab's house. I wonder how many people after the second day and the children of Israel marching around. I wonder how many, you know, this says there were even more than she bargained for. Do you see that? It says all of her kindred. I wonder how many cousins and friends and extended family came there to her house. And by the seventh day, as they marched around it seven times and, and, and the one day there, can you imagine whenever the walls started trembling and they're all in the house there, they're scared. They had to have patience to stay in there and not just go out running because an earthquake has come. They had to overcome impatience to stay in the house. Listen, we need patience. We need patience in dealing with one another. We need patience in our families. We need patience in dealing with whatever the future holds. We need patience in dealing with politics. We need, really need patience if you turn on the news and watch the news. <laughs> You know, we need patience. We need to be praying for patience. Rahab had patience. They stayed in that house for those many days. You see? And it says, in verse 25, it says, And Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive, and her father's household, and all that she had, and she dwelleth in Israel even unto this day, because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. So you see who Rahab was. Now do you see who Rahab is, even to this day? Rahab went from a life of disgrace, living in sin, to a woman of faith, 
into the hall of faith. By the way, uh, this is only the second woman that is mentioned in the hall of faith. It doesn't mean that the women didn't have faith. It just means it's the second one mentioned. Sarah was the first one. Rahab is the second one there in Hebrews 11. And she wasn't even an Israelite. She didn't even come from a background of the Israelites. You see, she came from a foreign nation, a foreign city, and she's listed today. That's who she is today. Rahab the harlot is a woman of faith. She lives in heaven today, and she stands as a testament to God's grace and mercy. Not only that, but over in James, the second chapter, in the 25th verse, it says that Rahab is an example of justification by works. It says, was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she hid the spies? She's in James the apostle. You uses her as an example to prove that she justified herself in the eyes of other people by what she did. That's what justification by works is. To be justified in the eyes of your neighbors. So that's a good neighbor right there. That's a person that does right. That's a person who's interested in doing the right thing. You see, that's amazing, isn't it? Well, it's not near as amazing as Matthew 1 and 5. It's not near as amazing. Can y'all imagine how the Pharisees felt when they read what Matthew put in Matthew, the first chapter and the fifth verse, when it goes about, talks about the genealogy of Jesus Christ. It says that in, in Matthew 1 and 5, listen to who is listed there. In the, in the genealogy of Jesus Christ himself. It says in verse 3 that, well, let's go verse 2. Abraham begat Isaac. Isaac begat Jacob. Jacob begat Judas. Judas begat Pharez. Pharez begat Ezram. Ezram begat Aram. Aram begat Aminadab. Aminadab begat Nashon. Nashon begat Salmon. And Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab. How about that? Not only did she no longer have a life of disgrace and no longer have a life of destruction and misery, but she is now in the lineage of Jesus Christ because she married a man of Israel. You want to know how if somebody is really repentant? You want to know if someone is really sincere? Oh, just, just see the example of Rahab, how she left what she had, how she left it behind, and she brought her family into the nation of Israel and, and, and basically gave up everything she had and came into that nation and gave up up what she was, gave up how she acted, gave up her culture, gave up her country, and she committed herself to God's nation. Isn't that beautiful? And then at some point after she came into the nation of God, you know, there, there is some conjecture, and I, I don't know if it's true or not, but it, some commentators say that it's possible that Salmon was one of the spies. Nobody knows that. It doesn't say that. But somehow or another, if he was one of the spies and encountered Rahab on that night whenever she hid them, at some point when she came into the nation of Israel, she encountered this godly man, Salmon. And she marries this man named Salmon. And they have a son named Boaz, who had a son named Obed, who had a son named Jesse, who had a son named David, who eventually we see the Christ being born into that lineage. Isn't that amazing? Is that not a testimony to the grace and mercy of God? Now, she's a woman of faith for all the time. She's one that's an example of being justified by work. She, is the, she was the wife of Salmon, the mother of Boaz. And Boaz married a non-Israelite named Ruth. Interesting, huh? Two generations there of wives that came from other cultures, other co countries, gave up what they had. You see, that's the difference. That's the big difference. Right? They gave up what they had to become a part of the nation of Israel. You want to know how to determine whether or not that person is right for you? Will they give up anything for you? See, 
Will they give up whatever sin may be engaged in? Will they give up uh, whatever culture they may have? Will they give it up for the kingdom of God? That's how you know right there. But if they're pulling you away and pulling you into their culture, into their community, into their way of thinking, into their beliefs, you better be careful. Better be careful. She overcame her occupation. She overcame being a patriot of Jericho. She overcame her fear of death, unpopularity. Overcame just the little snippets of information that she had. An unsupported family and impatience. She overcame all of those things to rise from the ashes of Jericho. (laughs) And she soars like an eagle as a testament to grace and mercy. God's amazing grace. I hope we can see in the life of Rahab how we all can rise from such ashes by God's grace and God and faith in God from lives of disgrace to people of faith. We have things that we need to overcome ourselves, don't we? <laughs> Many things that we need to face and overcome. You know, have you ever seen someone that had a trouble in their past and then you find out they're serving God and, and you say, that person, that person's now serving God and trying to do right? <laughs> Well, if they really are sincere, just give it time because they'll be consistent with it, you see. The hymn by Charles Wesley that's in our books, by the way, says, Depth of mercy can there be, mercy still reserved for me. Can my God His wrath forbear, me the chief of sinners spare? I have long withstood His grace, long provoked Him to His face, would not hearken to His calls, grieved Him by a thousand falls. I have spilt His precious blood. Trampled on the Son of God, filled with pangs unspeakable, I who yet am not in hell. Whence to me this waste of love, ask my advocate above. See the cause in Jesus' face, now before the throne of grace. Jesus, answer from above. Is not all thy nature love? Wilt thou not the wrong forget? Permit me to kiss thy feet. Jesus speaks and pleads his blood. He disarms the wrath of God. Now my Father's mercies move, justice lingers into love. Now incline me to repent. Let me now my sins lament. Now my foul revolt deplore. Weep, believe, and sin no more. (laughs) What a testament to the depth of the mercies of God in the life of Rahab. I tell you, that same mercy applies to you. It applies to me. And it doesn't matter where we've been, what we've done, how we've struggled, how we've tried and beat our head against the wall. It doesn't matter. By faith, by grace, we go forward. By God's mercy and by His grace, giving Him all the credit and all the glory. If you feel the desire to go forward in the kingdom of God, the first thing to do is to make a public profession and say, I'd like to follow the Lord. Enter the waters of baptism. I didn't hold Daddy under like I was just kidding, and I certainly won't hold you under like that. But that is a profession of moving forward in your belief and in the kingdom of God. If Rahab did it, we have no excuse. 